Wake up, NHL fans. It is Tuesday, and we had some great action around the league last night as the New York Islanders and New York Rangers both won their games. But we got a great morning cup of hockey today. We're going to be joined by Frank Saravelli in a couple minutes here. We're going to talk about Peter Laviolette's reaction to the Nathan McKinnon goal last night. We're going to talk about Pierre Eng- Engvall and the Leafs victory, and the, Leafs vic- the Islanders victory, excuse me, over the Leafs. We'll get into Sheldon Keefe, talk about all that, talk about BU over BC in the bean pot. But alongside Colby Cohen, I'm Johnny Lazarus, and we are brought to you by Seagram's VO Select Canadian Whiskey, which is artfully blended and impeccably crafted. Make it your very own. Colby, you've got a blank stare on your face. What's going on with you this morning? Are you tired? You sound tired. I just botched that whole intro, didn't I? I mean, that was a rough yeah, way to rough. welcome people into our that was show. Rough. That was like yeah, uh, that was pretty bad. That's that sounded like you were reading a, a hostage card. Um you you just were you were a little flat there you were a little tired yep. um you look tired you got a little, some bags under your eyes I, I am a little tired yeah it's it's been uh you know what what you need to uh, get get yourself some rest today pal i'm i'm going to start being a little worried about you i know you got a hectic schedule over the next couple of weeks so when you know maybe a little matzo ball soup and a couple hour nap <laughs> today maybe a little sauna a little rejuvenation I, yeah. the last couple of days i've gone and sat in an infrared sauna for about an hour, three straight days in a row because I was feeling a little bit worn down and under the weather. And today I feel so much better, so much better. So, um, well, I got back from Toronto at nine thirty Sunday night, and then yesterday, like I went to the Abs morning skate, then came back, started doing some writing. Um, I did get a nap, then which was nice. Then I went to the game and then finished my story late last night, so I didn't get to bed till like midnight last night. So. Uh, I'm still I'm still catching up here on sleep, but today will be a, a rest and recovery day after I get some work done this morning. That's for sure. And I will have a nice dinner thanks to your wife, Alex. I appreciate that. Shout out, Alex. That's very nice of her to. Oh to yeah, where are you going to dinner tonight? Why don't you plug the restaurant at least? Yeah, I'm going to dinner at Catch, which is uh, you know I've only been twice. It's you know one of the most popular restaurants in all of New York City, and a lot of the NHL players go when are they come you, to town. Go- who are you going with? Don't leave us I'm- cliffhanging. I'm going with a couple of friends that I went to UMass with my roommate from college, George Mika, and then Mitchell Chafee, who's currently on the Tampa Bay lightning who are in town taking on the Rangers tomorrow night. And then Zach Jones, who's currently on the Rangers right now after is, last night's game is Chafee. The kid that did he transfer to UMass from St. Lawrence? No, 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 so no. That was uh, RV brought in with them. That was Pritchard. Okay. Pritchard Got it. So Chafee, uh, was he drafted by Tampa Bay? Mitchell Chafee, right? National champion. I think he was, I think he was drafted by, yeah, uh, not a national champion. He played till 2019, then signed. Um, he was a captain, but I think he so was, he was on the dra- team that lost to Duluth in the frozen four in Buffalo. Yeah. That, yeah I think was that was team. my first frozen four. I did that game. I remember that. Probably. Game. Yeah. He scored a, a goal against Denver in the semifinal, that five on three goal where like the goalie was 10 feet out of the net. Uh, mm-hmm. Chafee buried home the empty one, but I think he was drafted by Minnesota. Um, pretty sure he was drafted. So by he's not, uh, how long has he been playing pro hockey for? Uh, this is, I think year three or year two. So good for him then. So, yeah. so he's worked his way up into the NHL lineup. And I feel like anytime, look, it's very difficult to play in the NHL, but I feel like making the Tampa Bay Lightning roster or or having Julian Brisois being the guy calling you up from the minors, I, I just feel like that has a little bit of extra weight just because of how good Tampa's been over the last number of years um, mm-hmm. and how 
how good Julian Brisewall has been at sort of finding these late round draft picks or these prospects that maybe over time have gone unnoticed by other teams. Um, you know, you look at some guys like, you know, Ross Colton and, and uh, Briere, how do you say that guy's name? Briere below or whatever. Um, the, the French Canadian kid that they yeah. had um, bar Brule. I'm, I completely but- butchered his name. Uh, you know, Verhage was one of those guys that I feel like mm-hmm. nobody really knew anything about. Then he's like a fourth liner in Tampa. Now he's a 30 goal scorer, you know, once he goes to Florida for a bigger role. So like, I don't know. I just feel like anytime I see uh, Brisewad do something, whether it was bringing in Tanner Janot, whether it was the trade he made for Brandon Hagel, everyone's like, you're giving up so much for these guys. I don't know. I just give Brisewad the benefit of the doubt, basically, when I see him. Nick Paul, too. Do it, Nick Paul. Yeah. So like... Yeah. I guess I guess I just give him that respect because of what he's done and how he's built his teams. So for a guy like Chafee to be up in the NHL getting this cup of coffee, this hopefully extended stay in the NHL, um, you know, I root for all the college guys, especially these hockey East players. And if he's your roommate, I mean, I'll have to get some stories from him because I'm sure he has plenty of reasons to shit on you. But um, but good for him, you know, good for him, good for UMass. Um I'll actually be doing a UMass game Saturday night. So I'll have to ask uh, Greg Carville about that. He's the head coach for, for our listeners that aren't familiar with Greg Carville. He was one of Johnny's coaches. Um, he's a head coach at UMass was an NHL assistant for a long time. Had a lot, a lot, a lot of people say, you know, low key, he had a huge impact on Zdeno Chara's early years, Eric Carlson's early Eric Carlson. years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and I will say, there's a reason UMass has developed and and brought in a lot of big time defensemen over the last number of years, whether it was McCarr, um, whether it was, you know, Del Gaijo, who's, who's gotten some NHL love Ferraro, um, the kid Scott Morrow there right now, he's going to play mm-hmm. in the NHL. So UMass has become Ryan a, little bit, of a, a, yeah. a little bit of a, a little bit of a Ryan Ufko, although I'm not sure he's a lock to play in the NHL. Um, so you know, we'll see what happens, but yeah, no, it's a, it's become a little bit of a defenseman factory, um, you know, for, uh, the, the, for the NHL over at UMass. I don't want to make this all about UMass, but Carvey did say last week that Ufko might be the most complete player to come through there since Kale. So that's pretty high praise, uh, for Ryan Ufko. But, um, while we're on the topic of college, Colby, I know we wanted to save the BUBC beanpot talk for the end, but we do have some questions from Jeremiah Maxwell, in the chat, he's got a question for Colby. Uh, win the bean pot or the natty? What means more to be you? Uh, well, it's gotta be the natty, right? The national championship yeah. means more to be you, but when you start the year, um, at, at college at that level, there are certain benchmarks that these programs sort of have throughout the year, uh, trophies they can win, um, you know, and the bean pot is usually the first one you can win unless you play in a, you know, a, a holiday tournament um, or a pre, you know, a, a, a beginning of the season tournament. So it's a big deal, Jeremiah. It's it's a it's a major major goal and a, and a trophy and a championship that you want to win. And it's funny because um, after they got swept by BC. Um, I was texting and talking with, um, 
you know, uh, some, some friends and people around the program. And then on Tuesday, last Tuesday, and I think you, you, you even tweeted me during the game, Jeremiah, you, you saw that I did the BU Northeastern game. And so, um, after the game, I was talking with Jack Parker, who's the legendary, um, coach at BU's family members. His two daughters were at the game. One of his daughters, son is Shane Lachance, um, who, who plays for BU. He's a freshman, really good freshman, you know, NHL draft pick. And his daughter, uh, Allie Parker said, last time I checked after the game, we were talking with Shane. She said, last time I checked, you don't win trophies in January. Trophy season doesn't start until February. So that just gives you an idea of the mindset of somebody who is, is, BU hockey through and through Jack Parker's family, his daughters, they went to BU. They've lived his whole career. Um, they're, they've been close to the program forever. Now her nephew and her sister's son plays for the program. So it sucks to get swept by them during the regular season, Jeremiah, but to come back and, and win in the bean pot and give yourself a chance to play. And that's that bean pot championship game, I think is huge. It, it means a lot. And it's something that, you use as a momentum builder because look, you're, you're close to the, the NCAA playoffs and the NCAA tournament. So it's a good question. Um, but I think the bean pot is a stepping stone. You know, you, you want to win as much as you can that regular season trophy playoff trophy championship. If you can be triple crown quadruple, you know, crown winner. Um, that's obviously always important. The last BU team to do all four was actually my team in 09. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's a challenging, uh, feat to, to have. Um, so yeah, it, we'll see what happens next Monday. And, and I think later in the show, we'll, we'll get back more into the bean pot. We won't, we won't go there now because we've got our guy, Frank Saravalli, who's, who's about to, uh, make his regular Tuesday appearance on our, on our show. And, and um, we have lots to ask him about. So without further ado, Frank, what's going on this morning? We were, uh, we were worried there, but it was our, our era. We forgot to send you the link. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. All good. No worries. Before Thanks. we ask you anything, Frank, I do want to apologize for ditching on the dinner bill this weekend. I got a lot of shit for that yesterday. So uh, that's my bad. I'll Venmo you some, some money for dinner last week. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, for taking me out. <laughs> my pleasure. I was gonna say thanks for the welcome, guys. Certainly better than what I got on the Pat McAfee show yesterday. You did you Pat McAfee on- yesterday? No, did you see it? He referred to me as quote that thing. No, I didn't see that. Yeah, no way. They, were, they were ripping me for my Crosby did. No way. Oh, I gotta, I gotta go back. Quote, and watch that, that thing, that Canadian thing is what he said. But you're from Philly. And uh, did they I, like play your clip? Nope. So they just said that thing who was. Yeah. And he said, Sidney Crosby. Crosby can do whatever he wants. How dare you? Wow, I'm sure you didn't lose sleep over that one. <laughs> no, I just, I was laughing. I was like, this guy can't even form a sentence. And yet he wants to attack me. All right. Well, you did get a lot of heat for that. Um, people were, were finding pictures of you from when you were like 19 years old and tweeting them and they were showing up on my feed. And I just like did not understand the significance. Le- of leave of it to Yinzers. I mean, that's, that's how it works. I, I just think it's a, it's a, it's a Philly hatred thing, Frank. I just think it's people were saying that about me and I'm like, dude, I, there's, I, I don't care who wins and loses. I promise you. And there's no part of me that has, any vitriol at all towards Sidney Crosby. He's a quite, quite literally a near perfect human being. And he's 
like no one's questioning his character or anything like that. My only point was if any other player at any point in time and more specifically from any other country had decided to just not show up for the first day of all-star festivities like Sidney Crosby did for the player draft on Thursday, that that person would be roundly criticized. They would. Totally fair. If it was Alex Ovechkin in his prime, they'd say, why are you too big for the NHL? If it was Austin Matthews and the game wasn't hosted in Toronto, they'd say, who does this guy think he is? But because my only point was because it's Sid, no one says a word and it's not, apparently it's not okay to say a word. Well, I I think it's okay to have an opinion about anything. Um, Apparently not. Didn't you know that's not how this works anymore? I mean, listen, I did see. Can't attack beatified saints. It was it was crawling all over my my ex feed, and um, I I was just kind of shaking my head and and laughing about it um, because, listen, you you're you call it like it is, and I, I. I know you well. You're not a Flyers fan whatsoever. I don't. I don't have. Um, I'm not. I'm not a fan of anything except. Hockey. I know. And I get it. I don't you, like. I don't put anyone on a pedestal, right or wrong. Like I don't bow down to anyone. I don't kiss anyone's ass. I just do my job and I do it as I see fit. And if that gets me in hot water, fine. If people don't like it, great. But I am who I am, for better or worse. And like I said yesterday on my pod. It, if you want to attack me for my weight, trust me, you can't hate me any more than I already hate myself. It's not possible. So don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, well, we're uh, going to have to get yeah. you on the Pat McAfee show now yeah. that, that, that I feel like needs to happen. Like you've got to get an opportunity and he seems like he's kind of all about those types of moments, Pat McAfee. So I don't know, maybe that's something we could, we can make happen. I, I mean, I, I don't care. I'll go on for sure. I have I'll say the same exact thing I've said consistently. That's now, all. was this on the show when he had because he was talk I I watched Yeah, the yeah, yeah, PK Subban on and he was asked about that. Mm, and I have to go back he, and watch this. And what did this he whole say thing. about it? What did Subban he say? He said Sidney Crosby can do whatever he wants. Okay. Which which I do agree with, but you could also disagree with. You know, I, I think Crosby can do what he wants. I think Crosby. Well, he is, did whatever he wants. Yeah, nobody's saying yeah. he can't do whatever he wants, but, but he can be nobody, criticized for it for sure. Exactly. Nobody's yeah. above criticism. Nobody. Listen, we live in a world where everybody wants to talk about what everybody else does. Like in the media, they talk about the coaches, the players. Why can't players turn around and then talk about a media? I, I don't understand why people get upset when a coach comes out a, a media member for, for a bad question because media members come at coaches for what they perceive to be bad decisions all the time. I think it's all I, completely fair game. I really I've do. been saying that forever. The media, our job, quote unquote, is to hold people to account. Why are we above being held to account? No, we're not. And we have a lot of writers and people in the media that think they are above being held accountable and they get very upset anytime that they are held accountable. And, and you it's know, not that I, they're upset. I think they don't, they're uncomfortable and don't know how to handle it. It's, yeah. it's well, most people don't like, for sure. most people don't like confrontation. I mean, I, I look, find you and Johnny with, signed up for a whole hour of it every day. I mean, listen, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't like confrontation. I think I would, we could tell, pants. we could tell. Yeah. I think I would crap my pants if Laviolette came at me one day. You know, you know what I mean? Just like, be ready because yeah, like a question that you asked last night, at some point you're going to go from being, oh, hey, here's Johnny, the, the young darling. guy who's, yeah, who's uh, the cool guy in the scrums to, hey, here's this <laughs> know-it-all who played at Mercyhurst who thinks that he knows everything better than everyone else. 
That's I, I'm just telling okay. you because I I I was around Peter Laviolette every day for like five years. Mm. It it will happen to you at some point. I know, and I fear that day as a medium. What are you going to do? do? Why, are you so going to put you your this. tail between your legs? Why do you fear that? Um, honestly, I think I'm just it's just being new to it. Um, and once it happens, I think once it happens once, then you just kind of put it behind you and you move on. But I think because you know this is my first full season covering the NHL, so it hasn't happened to me yet. And once that does happen, it's just going to be another day, you know. But that first time, I think everyone's afraid of a little bit of a, uh, you know heat coming back at you the first time when you know it's bound to happen at some point is that not fair to say well i mean doesn't mean i'm not gonna you know rangers won a big game last night worse than anyone else will so like maybe this should just be like yeah some armor that you have now that you're but he knows that i but he knows that i love him though yeah but no i i think maybe maybe labby loves you secretly but again like i think you know I've, i've asked questions in in losses about positivity to Laviolette and he's totally ignored it because he thinks there's no positives in a loss. So last night I took a different approach and the Rangers had a big comeback win in overtime, but you know, the goal against was a pretty alarming goal against. I mean, anyone who plays hockey knows that you should never get scored on when you're in a, like when you're against a set breakout, but if there's one guy that can score a goal against a one, three, one, it's probably Nathan McKinnon. Who's now there's two Two. Connor McDavid as well. And we'll show the goal right here. McKinnon gets a ton of speed through the neutral zone. The Rangers go on this one through run all the time. A lot of heat was given on Keandre Miller for not getting a body on Nathan McKinnon. But listen, I think anytime, Colby, you can probably talk more to it. Anytime a defenseman standing flat-footed, I don't care who the forward is, it's very, very hard to make full body contact on that guy, especially a guy with as much speed and power as Nathan McKinnon. And then you look at Braden Schneider's gap on the play. He's like, 10 feet back on the blue line. So it's so tough to defend a guy with that much speed, you know, coming in full throttle like Nathan McKinnon was at that time. And, you know, Laviolette, we, we didn't see the Rangers jump back in the one through one at all in the rest of the game. So it was clear that Laviolette made some adjustment. And I was curious to see what he had to say about slowing down the, arguably the fastest team in the NHL. Just touched on how fast Colorado is. And they scored that one goal tonight on a set breakout. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know what to be honest, it's on me. It's um, you know that's we were we were, we knew what was coming at us, and um, <clears throat> sometimes I feel like I can do a better job explaining things. And so we were in place, we were in position, but um, after that happened, we made a quick adjustment inside the room, uh, able to handle that speed um, a little bit more. I think some people you have a I think for some. For a team, you can have a game plan in place, and then we should have maybe thought about that with his speed and the way he attacks the neutral zone. That maybe we should have just made an adjustment. So that's on me. We made that adjustment after the period. I just want to say one quick thing. I, I've never heard any coach take full responsibility for a goal against like that. Well, I, I'm, I, I was going to stop you there because I was going to yeah. say I think that's a BS answer. It's great. It's great on him that he took responsibility for it, but he's not the guy out there executing. And if you're going to get picked apart as not just a defenseman, but the sent the middle end and guy on the boards in the one, three, one, that's on you executing. That's not the coach that, that, that play that, that setup wasn't designed for someone, one person to skate through the whole thing. That's no, poor not. player execution and a coach jumping on the grenade. That's how I view it. Colby, am I wrong? Yeah, look, I, I think in a one-three-one situation there, I think, you know, 
somebody's got to make a play. If everybody's back, somebody's got to make a play. But I, I think that pointing the finger at the defenseman who is standing in the last line of defense is completely flat-footed. But I also, honestly, Johnny, like listening to LaViolette talk, I, I'm not thrilled with his answer because I actually sense that that answer is a little bit of the easy way out because I think he probably didn't want to call anybody out. And so he just aided himself. Um, 100%. Because like, I don't find that to be super genuine the way that he replied to that. I really don't. If anything, he's sitting there saying, yeah, my players couldn't execute what I had. They were in the right position, but they couldn't execute. So, but I think I've never covered La Violette. Like I've never been in a city in a market and covered the team on a day-to-day basis like him. I've got tons and tons of friends who have played for him. So I've heard so many different things about the guy, but um, you know, like, I, I don't know. Like I, I, um, I, I would think a one, three, one in the neutral zone, which is what LA did the first half of the year and did against McDavid. And I've seen teams try to do against McDavid. I mean, that's one of the only ways to be successful against players like McDavid and, and players like McKinnon. Yeah. You can't be, you can't count on the last guy back. Who's completely flat footed to make the play. Somebody in the neutral zone has to make the play. When you you're squirting through two guys in the neutral zone, it's on them. I I just thought the question was originally I was thinking, is it uh, a breakdown by the team or is it more of a credit to the skill of Nathan McKinnon? I mean, you've seen defensemen in the NHL talk about what it's like when Nathan McKinnon is coming at you at full speed. I mean, there's a clip of Alex Petrangelo in the winter classic two years ago, literally going, Oh boy, when he sees McKinnon get that puck before going in the neutral zone. And then he has no chance of even stopping him. Like there are some guys where you just have to accept that they're much harder to stop. Yeah, listen, you, you have to accept that you might just get beat, but the reality is with a yeah. player, with those types of players, s- sitting back doesn't actually work. You've got to be yeah. in his pants. You you need a guy I think that's who's a lot gonna, that was saying. who's going to mirror him as he swings behind the net and do your best because most likely your best isn't going to be good enough because we're talking about, you know, the two most powerfully dynamic skaters, maybe of the three, put Makar in there in the NHL, but... Um, I, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't think this is as, as big of a deal. Um, as I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't No, I, I don't think it's a big deal. Okay. First off, kudos to you for asking the question and framing it that way, because not everyone sees the game as a reporter that played the game that can ask a nuanced question like that. That's one, two, um, you know, it, as we just talked about, it's, it's kind of clear that there was an execution breakdown and rather than pin it on a player, Mm -hmm. the coach jumps on the grenade and three, we know from John Tortorella earlier this season after uh, John Tortorella, Peter Laviolette's Mm -hmm. rival that those guys are loath to give credit to the opposition. Connor McDavid torched the flyers for five points, five primary points. And he couldn't, he couldn't say anything nice about him. Couldn't say anything at all about him after the game. Mm-hmm. So if you think Peter Laviolette's going to stand there and give flowers to Nathan McKinnon after picking through five different guys on the ice, basically going one on five. Um, yeah, that's not going to happen either. Yeah, it's funny. I actually asked him when they played the Oilers or prior to the game against the Oilers earlier this year, I asked when you coach against a player like Connor McDavid, do you, is there ever a moment on the bench? This is a dumb question that I asked him. Was there ever a moment on the bench where you kind of sit back and just like say, say wow to yourself with how talented McDavid is? And he said, you know, basically if, if you're saying, wow, I'm, I'm saying something else, you know, I'm, you know, I'm pretty pissed at what the result of a 
play would be that's a good for answer. me to react that way. That's a good answer. But but this one specifically, so Colby asked me last night when I sent him the clip, did you ask a follow-up about the adjustments that were made? Before I asked the question, he talked about how he started matching Mika Zibanejad's line against McKinnon in the second and third. And you're talking about a Colorado Avalanche team was one of the highest scoring offenses in the NHL. Incredible speed, incredibly dynamic, and they only put up one goal last night. So clearly the adjustment that was made did help the Rangers defend. Obviously, they got a lot of saves from Jonathan Quick, but I thought it was... Yes, it's him protecting his players for sure, but he also spoke about how tactical he was in between periods to not allow his team to stand flat-footed against a team with skaters like Makar, McKinnon, and even, you know, like Amiko Rantanen. Like, I thought I thought that was a really genuine response, even though it could have been a cover-up to protect the players. And you also caught up with Kale Makar yesterday. You have a story going up on dailyfaceoff.com today. What's that about? Yeah, it should be going up today. Uh, at some point, I spoke to Kale Makar. Going Kale up Makar. this morning. Yes, what this morning it? I... I uh, I spoke to Kale McCarr and Devon Taves, who are arguably the best defensive pair in the NHL. Um, you know, everyone knows about their on ice play, but I don't think many people know about what they do off the ice. So, um, what I is it? Catch up with, I, I want. What am I supposed to tell the whole yeah, story? Yeah, tell, not, tell like, us about it? this. Not the whole story, but give us a preview. <laughs> like, give, give us a give someone listening a reason to go read it. I found out Devon Taves does a lot of work in the community with uh, Freedom Service Dogs, uh, which I thought was very interesting. He matches up people like military veterans, um, people with disabilities with customized puppies, which is something that I feel like Kobe would actually find very interesting because Kobe's a big puppy guy. He just became your new favorite player. And, uh, you know, I found out that Makar is a decent dog sitter and that Devontae's would never let his goalies near any of his dogs because the goalies are weird enough, apparently. And apparently Eric Johnson has 10 dogs of his own. Um, What do you mean he wouldn't let them near dogs because like he would not let the goalies near. What's he worried that they're going to do like some weird peanut butters type of shit there? Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't know. We didn't really get into the specifics. We didn't get into the specifics. And then uh, Kale mentioned. Um, or actually it was funny. Bowen Byram was right next to Kale when I was talking to him and Emily Kaplan had a, a viral moment a couple of years ago when she asked Kale about uh, any like impromptu purchases he's made since being in the NHL. And he talked about stopping and getting a Slurpee. That was his response. So I asked Kale if he has any like prized possessions um, since he's made his new contract and uh, Bowen Byram chimed in and was like, he's got a couple nice shacks. And I thought that was pretty funny, like a couple nice houses or whatever. So um, you know, it was, it was just cool to hear about their life off the ice because, you know, those are two guys who are, you know, pros, pros, maybe a little bit less exciting than, than others in the league. They don't party as much or, you know, go crazy. So it was cool to hear what they do off the ice and how the team is watching this new show. Um, I'm blanking on it on Apple. It's the world war show. Something of the air. I think it's called, uh, good work there, journalist. But, <laughs> well, uh, you put me on the spot. I had it written. No, I mean, good. I had it written down. Did, Masters of the teams, Air. Masters of the Air is what it's called. Does any team in the NHL consume less alcohol than the Colorado Avalanche? Definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't think Nathan McKinnon. He's probably it's probably been years since he had a drink. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, no, I, and and that shows in his play, right? Like, you know what's funny? I was actually talking to my roommate about it yesterday. How, Kobe, I'm sure you've heard of this too. A lot of guys say, "Oh, alcohol doesn't affect me. I'm still able to, you know, be impactful in the game." Is like, yeah, you can still be a successful hockey player and drink, but like, if you don't, like, you can be a a freak of nature, like Nathan McKinnon. Is that not right? Like, Yarmir Yager, when I would spend time with him, he would always say, the. From the time you take your first sip, it's still in your body five days later. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, people talk about, you know, kind of playing guilty the next day or whatever. It's like, no, it impacts you longer than that. And I think for some of these guys, like they're so careful about what they do and don't do and put in their body. And, and they should be like McKinnon is the walking testament to how his game and his life has changed since he changed his diet. Um, but he's so militant and so um, intense about it that it's rubbed off, I think, on so many other guys in that room, his sort of secrets of how he goes about his business that I think it's it's helped take that that team in a totally different direction. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the word funny, culture... Those guys, those guys kind of remind me of, uh, like, McKinnon in particular, he reminds me of, of you know, like a Novak Djokovic or a Rafael Nadal, just with how intense and how militant they are for any tennis fans out there. Um, these guys are are another level of, of um, you know, preparation. And when I say preparation, everything that goes into that with their diet and their sleep and their hydration and, and sports science and, and this and that. So uh, certain guys, they, they just go to another level. And, and that's why McKinnon is, you know, a top three, four player in the NHL for, for a number of years now. And the main point of my story was just, Oh, there was a point to your story. I was curious <laughs> about that. Well, I don't want to play spoiler, but, um, when you're around a team like the Colorado Avalanche, and I've been around a couple of NHL teams now, the word culture always gets thrown around by coaches and by management and you know the higher-ups in the NHL. But most times, the successful teams, the culture is built within the players. And the one team I've been around where you can actually sense that is the Colorado Avalanche. Like They're all on the same page because of the guys like Nathan McKinnon, because of the culture that the players over the you know last 10 years in that organization have built. And that's something that Devon Taves kind of spoke on as well. Um, I, I don't know that any team is as singularly dominated in terms of their mission and mandate as, as uh, Nathan McKinnon controls the, like even like little things. Like I, I, I had a friend who was standing near their bus as they were leaving a game earlier this season. And someone said, Hey, what time does the bus leave? And the bus driver said, whenever Nathan McKinnon says, so. <laughs> That was a road game. And it was like, yeah. this guy controls everything. It's kind of amazing to see. He's not the captain. Gabriel Landeskog is. He's been out for a while. But, um, man, it, he's changed everything about the way that team runs. Little things, big things, diet, sleeping, whatever it might be. And it's you can see the results. Well, and, and you know, you look at Jared Bednar as a little bit more of a laid-back guy. Um that's just kind of his approach. And, and I think, I don't, I don't know the GM now is McFarland, right? Frank, um, Chris McFarland. Is that, that that's the general manager of the, the, the abs now. Yep. Um, I don't know much about him. I know you had him on your pod. I know you had him on frankly speaking. I've had him on twice actually. And if you're interested, his career is fascinating. Um, he started out in the NHL office as an intern and he worked then in, NHL productions so on the media side and but he worked in the NHL office in the mid 90s when it was so incredibly small that he eventually you know went to law school at night got himself in line to you know kind of rise within the organization and then when they had an expansion franchise pop up in Columbus he got hired there in their hockey ops department worked his way up and then became the assistant GM in Colorado so a fascinating path and he talks all about it and sort of how now he tries to give back to guys that 
he he was going around at at meetings like literally putting resumes under GM's hotel doors to get mm-hmm. a shot. And so he it, anyway, sorry to cut you off, but no, kind of it's an okay. amazing. Not not. Yeah. yeah, well, I, that's what I was going to say. I don't know him. Like, I mean, I know Joe Sackick, who's also kind of a late, you know, laid back guy. So I think the mix of of McKinnon's kind of serious, I think the word you use was militant, Frank. I think that's a great way to 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 describe it. I think it it works. It it gives him the opportunity to kind of do that. So not every place I, would be comfortable with that. Right. Yeah, that's what Most I'm saying. Most places I, would I, be like, hey, we tell you what to do, not the yeah. other way around. No, and I think obviously it's worked there. They've been a good team for a while. They had they they had a cup and and they'll they'll challenge for one this year. Um but look I don't want to spend the whole time we have with you talking about Johnny's Rangers and the abs. Um, so there, there are some other things that have kind of happened over the last couple of days, Frank, that me personally, like I'd like a little bit of clarity on, and I'm sure audiences would like a little bit of clarity on. Um, and the first thing that I, I kind of wanted to ask you about, uh, we, we saw yesterday some announcements of cap relief for certain teams um, that have players involved in the, in the Canada uh, world junior charges and, and um, incident. W- what exactly does that mean, Frank, as far as being given cap relief? Like how do the players count on the roster? How does their money, like, are they still getting paid? If you could just kind of dummy that down for us and really for our audience and, and shed some light on what that all means. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty simple now, essentially, it's almost for those teams, aside from writing the checks to the players, like they don't exist anymore as part of their cap. So they continue to, to get paid biweekly. All of them have their contracts that expire at the end of the season. They had already received a roster exemption, meaning they could replace those guys on the 23-man roster without penalty, so they were moved to non-roster status. And then now, yesterday, they were notified that they will be receiving cap relief, which essentially kind of makes them like they're on LTIR, where you can then take their full salary and replace that same amount on your roster. So um, it's... It's a big deal in the sense that if you're a team like New Jersey who has two players, even though they didn't make you know a whole ton of money on their cap, it's not as big of a deal for the Flyers or the Calgary Flames with Carter Hart and Dylan Dubé because you know they're they're probably not spending to the limit and they're you know not trying to add pieces at the deadline. But if these teams were in different positions, that would be an incredibly significant development. But for right now, it's you know it is what but- it is. In theory, a team like the Flyers could use Carter Hart's what five? Is it five million? Three, three or so? point nine seven million. Okay, so let's seven, just call it million. four. Let's just use the the number four for for even. That's four million dollars you could use to facilitate to to help with assets or you know his contract is set to expire at the end of the season, so it comes off the books anyway. Yeah. Um, but that, so that the, gives they, you but they weren't spending to the cap. They weren't spending to the cap anyway, so they did have some room. Gotcha. Okay. So, so basically it's, it's, it's just, you know, all that money is given back. The players will continue to get paid. Um, and I guess that will get worked out on the back end with, with CBA and, and revenue. And I, I, um, people a lot smarter than me with math, will yeah. figure that kind of thing out. 
it's mm-hmm. above my pay grade. I have no idea how that stuff works with, with this, but thank you for explaining, Frank, because I think a lot of people are confused with how everything is kind of being operated right now, especially this time of year at the trade deadline coming up. So I know it's, uh, you know, a pretty big deal with everything going on, obviously. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough to describe to just the typical NHL fan, even, even people like me, it's, it's tough to kind of grasp. Um, so thank you for doing that. And, uh, Kobe, do we want to talk about the Edmonton Oilers tonight going for the, well, I I'd like, I'd like to just stay with the news topics for the biggest game in Vegas this week. Um, (laughs) I'd like to stay with the news topics first, Frank, because during uh, Toronto's all-star weekend, I think we were all actually together when this happened. We talked about it on our show the day before it happened. Um, Todd McClellan gets fired. Um, that's obviously old news, but what's new news is uh, yesterday, um, Rob Blake had some comments. He basically said, I'm aware that if this team doesn't win, my job could be on the line. Um, I'm paraphrasing. They name um, Jim Hiller as the interim head coach. And then I think yesterday there was a report that uh, DJ Smith will be brought in to be an assistant coach for the rest of the season. Or was there is was he given, you know, just just give us an idea, Frank, like is Hiller going to be the interim coach for the rest of the year? Are they starting a coaching search? Like what what's going on out in L.A.? It's a mess. Um, and they're trying to sift through it. Jim Hiller is going to remain as the interim coach for the remainder of the year. DJ Smith comes in as the assistant to replace Hiller on the bench. And I think really the biggest headline that comes from all of this is that the LA Kings are feeling the heat. The temperature is being turned up on Rob Blake and the rest of the organization to show some tangible results. They had the rebuild that they went through. And you could say maybe the first year, They made the playoffs a little bit ahead of schedule. They lose to the Oilers in game seven in the first round. They're out. They've made some pretty significant moves year after year. Kevin Fiala, then this year, PL Dubois, and they've traded significant pieces. They've, you know, spent a ton of money. They've moved out some prospects. They need more results. And the fact that they started the season so well, and then have really not just fallen back to earth, but the wheels have fallen off in terms of their approach. Um, This has been, you know, a team in the bottom 10 in the league for the last six to eight weeks. Now they've been unable to get out of this spiral. And I'm surprised that it ended up being on the coach. And I think to Rob Blake's point, what that does is it squarely puts the bullseye on him, but this is a team that, I think is significantly underachieving this year in spite of some of the holes that they have on their roster. So Frank, let me just understand this, the the power structure in LA Luke Robitaille is the president of the team, correct? Yes, Um, but he also holds a business title as well. Okay. So most likely who, who my my questions are, are here. was an interim head coach put in place because Rob Blake was not allowed to hire another head coach because they're basically saying like your time is ticking. Like what, I don't where, think so. how, so, so this is, he wasn't told he couldn't hire another head coach other than a, a, an interim. No. And, and keep in mind, there's the Todd McClellan just got an extension before the season started. So he's being paid all of next year as well. And I think they, they didn't want to be in a spot where they were paying three coaches at once. 
Got it. And then Luke Robitaille, is he the guy that ultimately would pull the trigger if he wanted to to move on from Rob Blake? Or does that come from AEG, like ownership? Oh, I mean, you, typically the the impetus to make a change comes with a push from ownership and, and wanting to make that. But yeah, it would ultimately come down to, to Luke Robitaille and their group to make the decision. Um, I think it's a little bit premature to, you know, to speculate on that part of it, even though the bullseye is on him, he's not the only one we've talked all year about Yarmo Kekalainen and the, and the blue jackets, who's longer tenured than Blake by four years. Um, but this Kings team, I think the tough part is look at their division. Look at where the Oilers are having won 24 out of their last 27 games. Look at the Golden Knights when they get healthy. And then now look at the Canucks who have really put this Kings team swimming in the, the wild card sea. That's, that's what they're looking at right now. And that's an uncomfortable position to be in for a team that had some pretty lofty and significant expectations this year to take a step forward. I wonder how they feel about their decision to make their bet on goaltending and cam Talbot right now. It started off so well, but it was almost like he played so well and they played the wheels off of him that what you've been seeing the last little bit has been a significant correction back to the mean. And then the other part of the heat that's on him is from the PL Dubois trade that quite clearly hasn't worked out and has not only hurt the Kings, but has put the Winnipeg Jets in a position where they're one of the Stanley Cup contenders now. Frank, if I were to ask you yes or no right now, you think the Kings made the playoffs? Yes, and it's not even a question because first off, I don't know who's even in the driver's seat for the eighth seed, let alone two teams that would come in and knock the Kings out. I think they're too talented to miss. But what it does call into question is what are their viable options or opportunity to break through and get into the second round? Because right now, to me, there's the six teams at the top, the Kings, and then whoever finishes in the West as the eighth spot. They're two points ahead of St. Louis and Nashville right now. And the Kraken are creeping up a little bit. They're four points back of LA and the teams like Arizona, um, Calgary and Minnesota are a little bit more toward the bottom. But I mean, this Arizona team, people said, you know, they're a sleeper pick to make a push for the playoffs um, this season before it started. And they've been, you know, a little bit in that mix flirting with the wild card spot all year. Like they're Connor, not my sleeper team. Who's your sleeper team? The Kraken. I think if you have the blues and the Preds potentially selling off pieces, the Kraken, I mean, you you can make the argument the Coyotes would be there as well, but they're also going to sell off pieces. The the Coyotes simply aren't strong enough right now to just say, hey, you know, we're going to keep our pending UFAs, even no matter what the return is, that they can just roll the dice and say, hey, we're going to let these guys walk for nothing. They're not at that position asset management wise yet to be able to play that card. And so you could really see the Blues, Coyotes, and Preds all sell off. Not to say that means it's going to crush their chances to make the playoffs, but I think if the Kraken sort of stick with it, that there's a, there's a window there for them to, to get in. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry, I thought you were going to jump in, Coley. 
It's okay, Johnny. I got it. I know you're a little sleepy today, Frank. You missed the beginning part of the show where Johnny Marbles couldn't oh. couldn't complete a sentence. So totally botched the intro. Um, oh, show. you gave it the old Pat McAfee. Nice. All right. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> funny. Um, sports, well, look, Frank. I, 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 I like hearing about you know the, these situations. There's there's always these different power dynamics happening in these NHL front offices. No two situations are alike. I've seen that firsthand working for a couple organizations. So. Always good to get your insight. Um, we appreciate your time today. We won't keep you on here any longer. Make sure you check out Daily Faceoff Live uh, Monday through Friday at noon. Frank and Tyler Uremchuk. Every now and again, I fill in. Frank and I argue a little bit. It's always a good time. Um, we appreciate it, Frank. Thanks for sticking with us today. See you guys. Thanks, Frank. All right, Cole. We still got a lot to touch on today. We got. Sheldon Keefe and the Maple Leafs lost last night. We got the Edmonton let's go right Raiders to that. I, I want to talk like about the Leafs. I, I, I just, I don't know why I get so much enjoyment at Leafs suffering. Um, I know why I just get so much enjoyment out of it these days, partly because we were just in Toronto and everybody was feeling so good about the Leafs. They won a couple of games going into break. Samsonov has played better. They're not giving up five or six goals a game and they didn't again last night. So, so give him credit for that last night, but man, they lose a, a tight game to the Islanders, a team that has absolutely had their number in the worst way over the last recent history. But some really, really strong comments from Sheldon Keefe after this pop, excuse me, this goal by Kyle McLean um, was his first NHL goal, right? Yeah, uh, first NHL goal. Uh, he's actually a buddy of mine, so it was really cool to see. And freeze it, dad, fr freeze the film right here. So, I, I, not to cut you off, but we yeah. we are running a video, and then you can get back to your to your Johnny feel good story. Um, <laughs> at the top of your screen, thirty seven in blue. Okay, Tim Timothy Lilgren. He is the only defenseman out with this power play. Okay, and as the only defenseman out with your power play, you have to know the situation. You have to know the time on the clock. This is Peewee level shit rule 101, especially when Willie Nylander is the other point guy. Now, one other thing I'd like to point out about this play that to me is incredibly selfish is that Willie Nylander stayed out the entire two minutes of the power play because this is the second unit. So he's still on the ice. And usually the last, I don't know, 15 seconds of power play number two um, another defenseman will jump on the ice to make sure once you start five on five, you've got two defensemen out on the ice. So a couple of really, really major brain farts. Now roll the tape a little here, Vic, but watch what happens. Lillerin, he gets caught cheating. He's outside the dot for a brief second there. Major no-no. And then McLean just pops out of the box. Go ahead, roll the tape. And they give up a breakaway goal. To, to go behind after having a power play. So you don't score on the power play and then you give up a goal right off the heels of the power play. It's a major momentum kick in the balls. And again, this just continues to be sloppy, you know, selfish mistakes, whether it's Lilgren cheating for offense, whether it's Willie Nylander, Mr. Eight year, no move, no trade, staying out on the ice. Okay, not seeing the situation, not coming off the ice to get another defenseman out there. And look, Sheldon Keith has had enough. He's fucking bullshit about it. And let's listen to his quotes after the game. 
Is it frustrating when you lose track of where the penalty clock is and you let a guy slip behind you? Is that something at this point of the year that shouldn't happen anymore? At this point of the year, this is the National Hockey League. Like, that's peewee stuff. It's nothing to do with the season or anything like that. You play on the power play in the National Hockey League, they should not get behind you coming out of the penalty box. All losses are, are tough, show no matter what they how they happen. But any more difficult given that you guys tied the game late, and just turn over the defensive zone. Yes, that's what I'm saying. We played well enough to win the game, but we do it just enough to lose, right? Like second goal, third goal, those are gifts. You can't give gifts to the goalies playing the way he is in the other end. Uh, goals so such so hard to come by. You you battle your way back to tie the game. Yeah, you can't you can't do that. But, well. Look, I, I agree with them, Johnny. They did play well enough to win and just just dumb enough to lose. I think that's a great way to put it for Sheldon Keefe. They got goaltending. Nobody can blame the goaltending last night. You, you know, you you only give up two goals. And then, of course, I mean, the 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 nail in the coffin, right? Mm -hmm. Pierre Engvall, yep. um, a guy who's been widely criticized in Long Island for the, what do you get, a six-year deal? Um, me and Frank got shit on last week for talking about Engvall because I was under the impression at least last season that Islander fans loved him, but he gets a tribute last night, like a crappy well, video. Everybody. I mean, listen, honestly, everybody gets a tribute. I played three games in Colorado. I, if I went back to Colorado right now to a game, I'd probably get a tribute. I mean, but, they're handing out tributes like true. fucking Tic Tacs now. It's kind of embarrassing. It's true. But all the reporters also at the game said, like not one clap was was had when Angle. Well, how would any it. of the reporters at the game know? Their heads are fucking buried in their Twitter feeds. Nobody, no. Don't get me started on oh, are you gonna, reporters. You gonna yell at me for not answering your text last night. The reality about <laughs> the, the reporters at hockey games—they have no idea what's going on in the building. I sat in the press box in Chicago numerous times in my life, in my career, in in my state in Chicago, and the military salute would come up. Okay. The entire building goes on their feet, except for the writers in the press box. Everybody gets up for the military salute. Players can stand up on the benches. Okay. Everybody stands up. The writers in the press box in Chicago, they didn't stand up. They would sit there, type away. They get their headphones on, whatever, because none of them even pay attention to the game. They've already got their stories written. So I I'm not real interested in hearing what the writer said about who did or didn't clap. Give me a fucking break. Okay. Right. Like watch the game and pay attention before you tell me who did or didn't clap. I know I'm going off on a tangent right now, but that Just always really pissed me off in Chicago when the writers, all of them would not stand up for the military salute. It made my fucking blood boil. You can talk now because I'm just going to say something that's going to end up probably getting me in trouble. That one seems personal for sure. I actually, I had a dirty look when I was clapping during the national anthem in the press box like two weeks ago. Good. <laughs> fuck them. If you don't like the national anthem, fuck off. Just fuck okay. off. Leave. Let me cut you off though. Let me cut you off because I know get out of the headed. building. Just I know leave. where this is headed. Uh, but our producer Vic did let us know that heading into this game, Pierre Engvall hadn't registered a point in more than a month, and the Islanders hadn't defeated any team in regulation in more than a month. So that just adds insult to injury for the Leafs loss last night, especially after a feel good weekend, you host the all-star festivities, Austin Matthews wins MVP, the Leafs guys win uh, the all-star game. And then you come out and have a disappointing loss like this, just typical Toronto stuff, right? Like, I mean, 
the stories just kind of write themselves at this point. Toronto just can't find a way to find any consistency. And they were a team that, Colby, you said in the show yesterday, like they have a chance to get going here. And that's a pretty bad way to start, right? So, um, like, like, what do you, what do you do from here when your coach just is not shy now? He, he's not really protecting the players anymore in the media. Like, is it kind of a coaches coach versus player situation right now it's, in Toronto? It's not, it's not his job. At he's this not going, and he's not getting fired. No, like, he's no, not, he's fired. not getting fired this season. There, there's no, um, there's absolutely no reason, um to uh, you know fire him it's it's february here like what do we uh, i mean you sure you're gonna get an interim one of your assistants gonna be head coach for a few weeks or whatever i mean i don't know i i don't i don't foresee that happening so um look it, it's it's gonna be a circus in toronto the rest of the season <coughs> excuse me. Um, it's going to continue to be a circus. It is what it is. Um, it'll give us something to talk about. They're going to be problematic. Um, they're not a cup contender. They're not a serious hockey team. Let's just call it like it is. It's going to be another year of, of disappointed hockey fans in, in Maple Leaf square, which is a shame because again, you know, Toronto is the Mecca hockey. People are so passionate there. You, you know, like, I, I do think it would be great to see a Stanley cup back on Canadian soil, whether it's Edmonton or Toronto, I think Edmonton's closer right now um, for, for obvious reasons, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, um, certainly enjoyed my time there for the break or for the, for the week, the, the all-star weekend, great restaurants, um, good company for the most part, um, you know, for the most part. Um, so yeah. And uh the, the the Leafs, man. It's it's yeah. a, they'll always I'll, give us something to talk about. I actually want to read some comments in the chat about the Leafs. Uh, Jeremiah Maxwell said, "My boy, uh, hot take hockey. John Baveros wants Keith out. I'm sure all the Leafs fans want Keith out, but this point of the year, it's kind of tough. Um, like they're like a little over 30 games left. And then uh, Matt Mugno, who actually is a writer, said, "Kobe, I'll tell you, writing the game recaps and live tweeting is close to pointless with the accessibility of watching games now." So frustrating. So that's hearing from a, a writer himself, which is pretty interesting as well. And then actually we have one uh, a little off topic, but Jared Phillips wants to know what your hat is. Um, it's an old company that uh, I started years back called Endeavor. Um, and it's just a great hat. It's kind of just a go-to wear around the house hat. It's actually got holes in it at this point. It's a hat that I made one of one. Um, so in my old textile days, we'll call it, but, uh, I think, uh, let's, let's keep, keep it on the hockey talk here, Johnny yep. boy. Well, let's tee up tonight's biggest game. Probably there are a ton of games in the NHL tonight. There are eight across the board, but the last game of the night is the Edmonton Oilers and the Vegas golden Knights, which is going to be, or should be the most watched game of the evening as the Oilers go for a record 17 straight wins. Uh, I think they'll get it. Vegas right now is still dealing with a ton of injuries. The Oilers, you know, obviously have been playing the best hockey in the NHL and are number one on Colby's power rankings. So clearly they should be the favorites tonight because Colby says so. Uh, but I do think they go into <laughs> Vegas and and win that game and and get the streak. I mean, listen, Connor McDavid this year, it, he's different. Um, and, and we could say that about years past, but uh, the last two years, you know, the Edmonton Oilers end up losing to the eventual Stanley Cup champion. It, there's, there's no excuses anymore. These guys want to win. They want a Stanley Cup. And, you know, you can talk about the streak and whatnot, but they're just playing good hockey and they're playing the right way. 
And I think that's even more important than going for 17 straight is that they're playing the right way leading into the playoffs. Yeah. And they're not going to win the next 30 in a Mm -hmm. row, but I don't think they're going to be real streaky. I don't foresee them, you know, going on eight game winning streaks and five game losing streaks. I think they've completely settled into their identity. I think they've completely settled into their structure and a lot of it is just discipline. And, And I don't mean discipline staying out of the penalty box. I mean, Discipline with the puck in the hard, high traffic areas of the ice. Discipline means not looking for that extra play into the middle when it's not there. It means playing the puck in behind the other team's defense rather than losing it at the corner of the blue line. Uh, Discipline just means so many different things in the game of hockey, more than just staying out of the penalty box. Um, And I think that's why they've had this major winning streak and they'll lose eventually, whether it's tonight or whether it other nights. But ultimately, this is a team that is playing really well and really disciplined, you know, thorough hockey. And and when they play that way and you've got guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl and you're getting saves and the decor has totally settled in what Paul Coffey has done with the back end has really made a huge difference there in Edmonton. So I don't expect them to continue to be streaky. And I think that um, somebody actually asked that in the chat. Um, I, I I lost it now because I actually think it was Matt. Um, yeah. So he, uh, he, um, uh, he wanted to know, like, why are they so, you know, streaky? And I, I just don't, I don't see that being the rest of their season continuing to be streaky. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens tonight against Vegas. The season, uh, the games are about to start picking up. We're about to start seeing more games a night. Obviously, some of the league now has their bye week. I know some had it before, some have it after. It's kind of how it works around the All-Star game. So some guys will be, you know, chilling in the Bahamas here for another couple of days or Mexico or wherever they go. Um, but But the schedule does start to really pick back up eight games tonight. Um, the Flyers really need to stop the bleeding against Florida. Florida, a team that looks like they might be the best team in the league on any given night. I know you and I kind of argue back and forth about this between them and Edmonton. There's no doubt and that Colorado. they're playing and Colorado that they're playing some some really, really high level hockey right now. Um, you know, there's some other games tonight, Colorado at New Jersey. So they've got a back to back. Jersey's looking for any sign of life that they can get. Um, and boy, do they need it. And then you've got Vancouver, Calgary, and we're going to see the, the, the Carolina, Denver, Carolina, excuse me, Carolina, um, Vancouver, Carolina. I said Calgary, cause I was thinking about Lindholm and his debut. What do you think of that? Do you think he's the type of player, Johnny, that's going to fit right in? Or do you think that could take some time? It's tough. I mean, he just uplifted his life. We talked about it last week and and you talk about trades and just guys getting accustomed to not only playing a new system or having new teammates on the ice, but it's also a lot of the life away from the rink. And I can't talk on it because I've never been traded, but I feel like you went you know pretty deep last week when we talked about the trade after it broke. And, you know, like Patrick Kane, even a guy like him, you know, took some time last year coming to the Rangers. Like these are human beings, right? Like, and I I don't want to make any excuses for them. No, Johnny. Honestly, you're 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 really being fair about this and yeah. and I'll just speak to this as someone who has been traded and obviously I was not an impactful player, but um everything changes. That's you go from living in your house to living in a hotel. You go from having your routine um where you have your pregame meal to where am I going to have my pregame meal? Every team has different meeting structures. You some team might meet at 4:15, some team meet at 4:30. 
power play at 445. Everything is different, and hockey players are creatures of habit. So when you throw a player into a new environment, there is a human element, and I do think, generally speaking, it really does take time to get to used to playing with other players. I will say this. Lindholm's game, to me, is such a... Um, north-south sort of honest, hard, skilled game is the way I would kind of put him. Like, he's got hard skill. He does not have soft skill, Elias Lindholm. I think he's the type of player that can fit in with a team quicker. I don't think he's the type of player that needs the puck on his stick all the time, needs to be the focal point of the offense all the time. It's not who he is. He's more of a player that goes in. He plays all 200 feet. He's 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 as a centerman, he's always in the low, you know, areas for defensemen. His coverage is always good. Like I just think he's the type of player that probably fits in a little bit quicker and a little bit sooner than other type of players moving at the deadline. Kane's a bad example because he's kind of a rare bird and yeah. rare breed, but usually you see players take a little bit of time to to settle into new roles on new teams. Like a five-game window, I feel like is pretty fair, right? To to fully be accustomed to a team. But I want to just reference dailyfaceoff.com as well and where they have Lindholm slotted right now. As of now, he's playing second line right wing. According to dailyfaceoff.com, Elias Pedersen is the center on that line and Ilya Mikheyev is the left wing on that line. So uh, he's not playing center, which I find Well, maybe they want to give him a little less responsibility. Um, mm-hmm. And he is the type of player like who can play the wing and center. Because again, like he's going to go win battles on the walls. Like he's not a guy you have to worry about not being able to battle pucks out along the walls. And, and a lot of times when you have a winger, a center playing winger, they're even more responsible with their low coverage, getting down into the slot, helping out as a weak side winger, stealing the dot line. If you're a strong side winger. So sometimes that teams like having that extra center out on the ice. Also, he can always jump in and take draws um, if Pedersen is thrown out. So We'll keep an eye on those games. Um, like we said, eight games tonight. Um, you know, like only a couple of games last night. I didn't watch NHL last night. I was watching BU and BC. That was an awesome game. Northeastern won the first game of the Bean Pot. Macklin Celebrini went off last night, scores the first two goals of the hockey game in six or seven minutes. I, I, I'm watching Macklin Celebrini and I'm just going to say this right now and people are not going to like this. Um, <laughs> I think I, I just want to be clear here that I think Macklin Celebrini could play in the NHL as a centerman right now, right now. I think he's that good. I think his compete is that good. I think his details defensively, his strength are that good. He's 17, mind you. Like Connor Bedard has struggled as a center. Not in the NHL. Bedard is an NHL stud already. His skill is insane. But he's really struggled taking face-offs and and at the center position. They've talked a little bit about that throughout the season. Now, granted, he hasn't had anybody to play with. But honestly, right now, I think you could put... (coughs) Excuse me. You could put (laughs) Macklin Celebrini on a line with Connor Bedard. I think Celebrini would be a better center right now Right now, just in the dot, in the draws, and defensively than Connor Bedard. And Connor Bedard is a phenom star who I think the world of. But that's how how good I think and complete of a player Macklin Celebrini is. I am not saying I think Celebrini is a better player or prospect than Bedard. I think Bedard is 
a, a step above. I am just saying as a centerman right now, today, that's <laughs> what I think. And, and I want to be clear about that. But that that is how highly I think of what Macklin Celebrini's complete game looks like right now as a 17-year-old tearing up the NCAA. I think it's a good rant, and I don't even want to ruin it. Uh, any final thoughts before we kind of wrap up today's show? I got nothing, Johnny boy. All right. Well, thank you to everyone in the chat. Thank you to Frank Saravalli and our producer, Vic. We'll be right back here at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. Excuse me. So tune in tomorrow. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you guys a little bit later.